What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Flippin' Bats, where John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer for the Atlanta Braves, is set to join me again every single week throughout the season. Smoltz is gracious enough to join us here and talk everything happening in baseball, share some stories as well. Well, today in the offseason, got him back on to talk all about, well, if you haven't heard, John Smoltz is going through Q, Q school and almost became a professional golfer and was in the final stage of Q school. We'll talk all about that as well as everything that has happened this offseason so far. The Atlanta Braves and what they've done, all of those trades they were making early on that has led up to the Chris Sale trade that they just made, how he feels about that. Of course, the Dodgers, Shohei Otani, that signing as well as the contract, unprecedented deferrals, 97% of that contract is deferred, $680 million. So asking John what he thought about that contract when he heard it. Also, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, that signing, 12 years, $320 million. What he thinks about that. Are the Dodgers now favorites over the Braves in the National League? And should they be favorites in the National League? And lastly, Juan Soto to the Yankees. How big of a move that is for the Yankees. If that is it for them this offseason with the, the big splashes, if that's it, if they have done enough this offseason to be where they want to be next year. But this is a really fun conversation. Pumped to have John back on and excited for you all to hear him talk about everything from this offseason. So without further ado, let's welcome in Hall of Famer from the Atlanta Braves, John Smoltz. Five ball, onto the track, at the wall, it's gone! Home run! Turns on a ball, deep right field, and gone! What a game, what a moment. All right, I am pumped to be joined in the offseason by John Smoltz. John, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I know there's been a lot of golf in the offseason, which, by the way, want to talk about that, Q School, everything you've had going on uh, this offseason. Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, I'm in a golf uh, vacation three weeks because I played so much after the World Series. I had four tournaments back, back to back, and uh, I got a little burned out. I know that's hard for you to believe that I could get burned out on golf, but no, it was a it was a um, very learning and humbling experience getting to the final stage. So, what what was that process like? And I know a lot of people listening probably don't understand what Q school is but uh explain the process and I know you got to the final stage of Q school and um we're almost on on uh tour on the um yeah on the tour so explain Q school well basically there's four I think four spots in the country where um 80 or so players they take anywhere between 12 to 18 players per spot to get to the final stage and I was able to make it out of Florida. So I got one of those spots. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have canceled one of my tournaments to give me a little bit of a break. But I literally played 31 golf rounds in 33 days. And when I got to the final stage, I was pretty gassed. But yeah. it was, again, another learning experience. And it was, a, it was a, you know, it was a fun accomplishment. But it was one that re- made me realize those guys are way better uh, <laughs> than, uh, than I am. Well, there's been a lot going on in the baseball offseason. Let's talk some baseball. Let's start with with your with your Braves making a few moves. They at the beginning of the offseason seemed to be the only team doing anything, just making a million trades, none of which seemed to, in my opinion, make the team much better. A lot of head scratching, what seemed to be maybe uh, clearing some money and dollars here and there. 
uh, Soroka out the door, Kyle Wright out the door, a lot of pitchers out of the door making these trades to just adjust the roster and maybe some money involved. So what do you think the Braves' plan was early in the offseason with those moves that they were making? Yeah, you know, the Braves have never historically gone out and made the big splash, right, where they've gone and 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 bid up for a big-time free agent. Now, they sign a lot of young players early, which we've talked about, that it's made them relevant now for the next five years. But one of the things that they're seeing within the National League is there's some powers that are getting bigger, and the Dodgers have certainly done that. So the Braves have to figure out how they're going to shore up their starting rotation, and this trade helps. It's a risk-reward trade where uh, Chris Sale, now you got to believe, has got to – be a little luckier than he's been. Uh, he's had some tough luck in his injuries. and But that's really what I think this trade is all about. I don't know what they'll do to sure up a couple more spots. But, you know, they're in a great position offensively. They just showed at the end of the year why their, their lack of depth or they had a lot of depth in starting pitching but not a lot of um, – position players position players were fine but the pitchers were a little bit thin at the end of the year yeah absolutely do you do you think with what the Braves have done this year I, I feel like we've watched the Dodgers get exponentially better this offseason and if the Braves only you know big move for the the rotation is Chris Sale I mean I, I have to imagine the Braves the Braves are going to do something else and not just stand by and watch the Dodgers even though I know they feel good about their team and their offense and how good they were last year but like you said in the playoffs it almost felt like the bats went quiet which is what it is right they're one of the best offenses we've ever seen and unfortunately you're not going to change it all up because the bats just went quiet but pitching wise they just didn't I feel like have the depth and I don't think Chris Sale right now makes them uh, a favorite over over the Dodgers. I feel like they need to do something else. Yeah, and I'm sure that much like the surprises they had three years ago when they didn't land Freddie Freeman, they've got Olsen. I think they have a plan that they're trying to roll out. Um, we'll, we'll wait and see what that is. But I think that the, the fan base and the team is in a really good position to do something if they want and, yeah. and do something big if they need to. So – uh, I, I just think that that the stable organization that they've created, if they can add another piece, uh, another major uh, starter, I think they're going to be fine. Let's talk about that other team, the the Dodgers. Quite quite a bit to talk about here. It's been quite the off season for them. One signing Shohei Otani to a seven hundred million dollar contract, which I would love to pick your brain about because I have talked to. Uh, my brother about this contract uh, the whole world has talked about it it's confusing it it you know once all the details start coming out it makes sense what's happening but then it's like why is it happening how is that a good thing so 97 percent of Shohei's contract is deferred 680 million and he'll be making two million dollars per year over the next 10 years John when you heard about the details of this contract what were your thoughts well, my thoughts are 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 this. I, I think, look, he's the greatest player in our our generation, and but will he be able to be the greatest player in the Bra in the Dodgers generation? Meaning, will he be a two way player? That's the biggest question. I think if you just separate the money, let's just say face value, the money is what it is. For a one way player, that is going to be an interesting dynamic for the Dodgers. The way I look at this whole thing is. They're definitely going to get marketing dollars back. That contract may, let's just say, is 
is in one third of what they're going to pay because of what they're going to monetize off of Shohei Otani. But here's how I would look at the contract. And I think this is what you hear all the time. Well, if they win two championships, I think two's the I think two would be the the, the barometer here. Then that contract has been an incredible contract. But I've always said, as we talked about, man, you're talking about if he does both, I think the Dodgers are going to be in an unbelievable place. But let's say he doesn't do both. Then what? And then it puts a lot of pressure on the Dodgers organization to win some championships to justify. But he's so good that I could see him if he doesn't play uh, on the mound after next year, maybe he plays in the outfield. There's got to be some way they got to use him to utilize not just a DH. Yeah. That's my point. And I think that's why I, I was interested to see how the contract would go because I would have put in another uh, contract based on if he pitches. And if he pitches and he plays, then I could see that contract playing out the way it does. Yeah, and I, I know you and I are both on both very hopeful that he continues to do both for as long as he possibly can. But obviously, a lot of question marks there. Hopefully, that does end up happening. In terms of the contract itself, obviously, the $680 million, Where where do you stand with that specifically? Where do you stand with the unprecedented amount of deferrals and him making all of the money basically after the decade is up, allowing the Dodgers? And I know for, for purposes of the CBT, it's still about $46 million, So it's not like that's mm -hmm. just $2 million. It is still a big hit to the team. Uh, he's basically just loaning them a bunch, you know, 30 million, 20 some million dollars to just get paid 2 million a year. Um, and they're able to do what they did with Tyler Glass now by extending him. They're able to do what they did with Yamamoto because of the deferrals. Thoughts on the contract itself? Yeah, I think um, I'd love to know who came up with it. Uh, I think it's Shohei's uh, camp. I think it says a lot about him and how he wants to win. Uh, we knew he was going to stay on the West Coast based on where he lives in the country. And I think his desires uh, to do this, he's going to make a ton of money, obviously, yeah. even from a marketing standpoint. It's very creative. When I first heard about it, I was like, oh, man, is this going to be a trend? We got a copycat league. I don't think so, because not every player might be eager to do that. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the greatest known factor is now <laughs> the unknown. You don't know what's going to you know, what's going to happen in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So I think it's a credit to him. I I. I think his camp and, and some of the things that, that they tried to do in, in this contract created, like you said, leverage for the Dodgers to go out and be more aggressive. Um, I will say this, the glass is half full, no doubt. I'm not trying to say the glass isn't half full for the yeah. Dodgers, but there is some risk. A 12-year uh, contract to a pitcher that dominated in his own league but hasn't stepped foot yet in the big leagues. 12 years is a long time for a pitcher, but they, they have accomplished two – of their major goals by getting two pitchers and the greatest player on the planet. Yeah. So you got to feel great if you're a Dodgers, but there is pressure that comes with it. I mean, there's tremendous pressure now that they've become the prohibited favorites in the national league because they don't do this deal just for marketing. They yeah. do this deal because they see multiple championships in the next 10 years. Well, let's talk about that pitcher. Yoshinobu Yamamoto signed 12 years, $320 million. As you said, dominated one of the best pitchers of all time in NPB. We did see him briefly against, uh, you know, a lot of major league baseball players in the world baseball classic. Uh, but like you said, 12 years, a long time for a guy that is now coming to major league baseball and we get to watch him up close and personal. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of years. He was the prize signing of the off season. 
The guy is not big in stature, but he throws upper 90s, a nasty split, nasty curveball. John, talk about Yamamoto and what you have seen from him and how you feel about him coming to Major League Baseball. Yeah, the only issue is going to be can he transition to the American-style philosophy of baseball, right? They have a different philosophy over there, and it seems to work for the majority of the pitchers that are able to stay healthy. And again, health is going to be the the big key on a 12-year deal. I mean, pitching is fragile in the sense that you know, there's no known commodities anymore. That's why a lot of teams are building their teams around offensive stars because it seems to be a more um, way of staying healthy and, and a truer uh, facet of, of of that contract being played out. So I, I'll tell you what, I'm intrigued. Um, we've seen this before. I don't know that we've seen this uh, 12-year deal given to a player. And again, there is risk involved, but they have monetized that risk with a team that they believe at the end of the day, is going to win championships. And if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers, you have um, a lot (laughs) of history, but not a lot of success lately that can quantify that great history. It's a great organization. The fan base is going to be pumped up. And you just hope that this young man can stay healthy for the Dodgers and produce like he has over in his uh, previous uh, young career. Do you think, I mean, $320 million is is a lot of money for a guy coming that obviously, it, for those that don't know, it is a different, it's a different game. The baseball is different. The mound is yeah. different. It's not an easy transition. Do you think the way that Kodai Sanga came over and pitched last year and, and dominated and ended up being in rookie of the year conversation, Cy Young conversation in his first year coming over from MPB, do you think that helped? Um, Yamamoto get some more money and maybe alleviate the Dodgers worries about that transition period? I think so. I mean, we've seen the, the coming over and dominating the first year by a lot of Japanese pitchers, but the sustained excellence and the, and the length that the major league baseball season, it's a little bit different. You've already touched on the baseball on the mound. And I think the Darvish and the Nomo and, you know, all the different styles that, that has come over here, the adaptation to the every five days, their throwing program versus our throwing program. There's a lot to be discussed and a lot to be worked out. And I think that's, what's intriguing about this deal um, it's not just your your average four to five to six year deal. This is a historic 12 year deal when there is evidence of how great he is, but he has yet to ever pitch in the big leagues. Yeah. And that's why it's so historic. You see players who have a uh, they make a breakthrough, but it, it, it's the adjustment period that has to be done. And I think those previous successes do help him navigate the big league season, but it's 12 years that he'll have a, a journey through. Yeah. I know both of those teams, Braves and Dodgers uh, were disappointing in the playoffs last year, but I I thought the Braves specifically, and we talked about them a lot. I I thought the Braves were one of the best offenses I've ever seen. One of the best Atlanta Braves teams that I have ever seen. And obviously lose to the Phillies in the playoffs, the Dodgers uh, swept by the D backs, but regardless, let's say they're the top two teams in, in the national league right now. Do you think the Dodgers, have done enough to right now be considered the favorite over the Atlanta Braves. Should they be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they're frontline pitching. Both teams have good frontline one, two, threes. Again, a long season in depth, that's going to be the key. Does the Dodgers have enough depth to sustain any kind of injuries? They've got some injury-prone pitchers already on their staff. And I think the fact that their offense 
is so top heavy, just like the Braves. There's a depth there that they can claim their offense is going to win a good percentage of the game, but we know in the postseason what it comes down to, and it's going to be the pitching. So um, baseball next year with some star factors is going to be pretty exciting to watch. And again, I would rather have that pressure. Put me in a position as a player to be the prohibited favorites, even though I'd lived it. It's not fun when it doesn't come out on the end the way you do, but you feel good about leaving spring training going, we're a really good team and we're going to win a lot of games. Speaking of star power, one question for you about the New York Yankees, Juan Soto heading to the Yankees. Um, I, I, I guess my question for you here would be, I know the Yankees missed out on Yamamoto. I know they were in heavy on him and they got to that 300 million number. But now, uh, where do they pivot pitching-wise? We don't know. Do they all at all? I don't know. But as of right now, with what the Yankees have done and where they were last year and adding a Juan Soto to that lineup and hitting him most likely back-to-back with Aaron Judge somewhere in the lineup, how much does that improve the Yankees? Should they feel good about their offseason adding Juan Soto after one of the most disappointing Yankee seasons that we've seen in a long, long time? Yeah, I think the Yankees were a byproduct the last five years of taking lightning in a bottle and thinking it would work with some position players that didn't, a lot of injuries, a lot of players that didn't stay in the lineup to make their – see, every team's got to have a threat, and the Yankees' threat should be and has been, we're going to bomb you to death. We're going to hit homers. We're going to dominate at home. We're going to beat you with our bullpen. Our starting pitching may not have the depth of other teams. But I think with the Soto signing, it gives that left-handed bat that they need. Now, Rizzo – you know, we know the injuries and the concussion, all the things that led to last year. But that team in that ballpark has to score runs. Now, here's my question for how they're going to treat Juan Soto. Juan Soto in the last two to three years is one of the greatest players in the game, but he has taken a different route to be great. And that's a lot of on-base percentage and maybe less slug. Well, if you're in Yankee Stadium, I don't know if they're going to be crazy about on-base percentage as much as they're going to want to see 30, 40, 50 home runs. Of course, Judge is that guy. But I think Soto has to be that guy, too. Because if your lineup doesn't cohesively work, then, yes, they're going to walk him a lot. And his on-base percentage is going to be great. But if they don't have the people behind to drive him in and do the things that makes a lineup great, then he's a superstar in a lineup that may not have that depth going to it so I, I again he's in that strange Joey Votto place yep. where people are going to talk about what they wish he would do but then they can't not talk about how great of a player he is when at the end of the year he's got a close to 400 or more on base percentage John always a pleasure my friend thank you so much for taking some time this offseason uh missed talking to you man so pumped to have you back on yep season's not too far from spring training can't wait not too far thanks again John All right, just wanted to thank John again for joining me. Always a lot of fun when he comes on and really nice to be able to have him on in the offseason and take some of his time to to join us here and talk Braves, Dodgers, Yankees, three massive teams, three massive markets, and three big offseasons for them so far, at least from the Dodgers and Yankees perspective. The the Braves still uh, maybe haven't made that big splash, but as John mentioned, they never really do they never go make that signing of like the Shohei or the Yamamoto or trading for you know getting Juan Soto they don't typically make that big splash and pay that big money what they do is get their young players early and know what they have and sign them and uh, so interesting to hear him talk about them and and all of these teams so hope you all enjoyed it I hope everyone had a happy holiday season 
Uh, it is now my birthday month, so officially turning 32 here in a couple of weeks. But thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week as well with another episode of Flipping Bats. But until then, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever. We're also on all social media, including YouTube, where you can watch every single thing we do at Flipping Bats Pod for all of us. But until then, that does it. 